0: Hi, welcome everybody. Another episode of Mentally Unscripted. This is Paul. I'm here with
1: Scott. Scott, how are you today? I am. I'm good. I'm just uh, sitting here sewing all my masks together so I can be triple and quadruple masked. I am so glad to hear
0: that. I I went out with a single mask the other day and I thought to myself, how much danger am I putting myself and others in?
1: How dare Um, you?
0: So I I went out and I bought a full hazmat suit. I thought that was the (laughs) only way to really keep myself and my loved ones safe.
1: Yes, yes. Well, good for you, Paul. You're you're thinking about the uh, the old lady in New York. I yeah. I am.
0: That's yeah. that's the and, first person I'm thinking about as I'm putting on that
1: suit. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 nip this COVID thing in the next thirty or forty years if we just keep at it.
0: I I love your optimism. It's yeah. just
1: spot on.
0: Yeah, it's spot and, uh, on.
1: Yeah, and Um, happy uh, one-year anniversary to 15 days to flatten the curve or control the spread or whatever. We hit it.
0: Do we (laughs) we know if we
1: flatten the curve yet? I'm just not sure. You know, the the, the curves, I I guess it's on how you define flat. I mean, (laughs) the curves don't look very flat to me, but
0: hey. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, boy. People are going to hear this. They're going to start thinking bad things about us, Scott. I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell them. It's just yeah, uh, uh, you need a little bit of gallows humor in today's day and age.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and and in case you didn't wonder, yeah, we are a little skeptical of the COVID narrative. Uh, yeah, just just a and, bit, uh,
0: yeah, just not a bit.
1: necessarily the virus, but the narrative surrounding it.
0: Yeah, no, no, I, I, you know, I, and I'll, I'll say it. I know several people that've had it. I know several people that have died from COVID. I just heard about that one of them this week. It was a younger man, just a couple years older than me. So now I, I hundred percent know that it's uh, it's real. I, I don't question that for. For a minute, I I absolutely question the decision of our political leading class who seem to make mistakes at every turn. But uh, something we can't do about on this podcast. But what we can talk about is bad information, untrustworthy information. In the day and age of the Internet where everyone has access to the entire content of, of, of human knowledge at their fingertips. We have a real issue with bad information bad actors bad information that's just causing all kinds of information pollution. So today we're going to talk about some ideas that are that are making the rounds for how we can we can um, we can cut back on that but before we get started if you haven't already go to wherever you listen to these podcasts go hit the like button add some comments tell your grandmother I know she's at home maybe your grandfather they need something to listen to. Share this with them. We'd love for other people to hear what we're talking about. We'd love for you to come and tell us what you think. If it's on Stitcher, if it's on Apple, if it's on YouTube, where we now have clips. Go check it out. We'd love to hear from you. So, without further ado, today's episode is going down the rabbit hole. That's actually the name of the article that started this conversation. So, uh, I believe it came out on February 18th, 2021, in the New York Times, and it's an opinion piece called Don't Go Down the Rabbit Hole. And in this piece, they're talking about the the issue that um, readers, any any reader on the internet is gonna be bombarded with an enormous amount of information at any point of the day. And it's all designed to grab your attention. And it does that no matter what it takes to do it. And because it's grabbing your attention, it's oftentimes charged emotionally. And when you're charged emotionally, you're going to believe information that may or may not be true. And so this article presents an idea um, called SIFT, which I think we'll we'll spend some time talking about, and uh, really tries to come up with a heuristic or or a technique for trying to sort out the real information from the bad information or the misinformation. And I think in doing so, it, it it does both a good job of giving us a sense of the challenge that we face, which I do believe is a real challenge, just like we talked about with COVID. I, I know COVID exists, I know it's a real challenge. Um, I know misinformation exists today and it's a real challenge. And uh, on this podcast, we've talked about the issues where information can, can spread like wildfire, literally go viral uh, with, with the right meme and the right messaging because it, it engages people's emotional receptors. And so um, I, I think that's a real issue and challenge. Uh, however, similar to COVID, I, I, I do question some of the techniques that are being discussed here. So so Scott, do you think that's a good summary of, of the article?
1: I think it is. Without going uh, into too much detail. No, I think that's a that's an excellent summary. The article's it's actually really short. I mean, you can read it in a few minutes. Um, and you'll definitely laugh longer than it takes you to read it after you're done with it um i'm not a wasn't a fan of the article (laughs) well
0: let's okay so let's let's make sure we set this up i want to steel man this as best we can and and you know not not to um i want to i want to be charitable with with what they're trying to do so first of all i'm going to say that i think the authors here have the best of intentions right We, we acknowledge that there's a challenge with with information uh, being out in the public, everyone having uh, access to this information, and, and the fact that our attention is so valuable to, uh, to to platforms such as Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram—they're they're always going to try and find ways of engaging you, right? A lot of the metrics—if you—if you actually just go through a um, the financial reports of any of those platforms—they'll talk about the value of attention, right? They'll, they'll talk about how it's being monetized. Right for their investors, so I, I do think your 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 attention is a, is a very valuable, um, I hate to say commodity because it makes it sound cheap, but it's it's a very valuable aspect of what you're giving to the internet. I know that the information out there can spread and it's, and it's misinformation, and that seems to be the concern here. And they they say they want to try and combat that the bad ideas spreading, right? Which which I I can say on its face sounds like a good idea. Um, So then they say, well, because information spreads and people can't find the, they they don't know if they come across a piece of information, whether or not it's accurate or not, they can use this new technique that they call SIFT. And and it stands for stop, investigate the source, find better coverage, got to laugh about that one a little bit, And, and then trace the claims, quotes, and media to the original source. So... If you are on Facebook and you're scrolling down your timeline for the sixth hour, sixth hour and you come across a meme and it says, can you believe what Biden did this week? You know, patriots need to react. And you click into that and it takes you to an article on a website with an official mask and it says Biden's coming after you and in your guns and all you people. It's time to revolt. Before you even do that, they said, listen, don't spend any time trying to look at the claims, Make sh- see if the claims are, are legitimate or not. You should use SIFT to try and avoid looking at that information at all and saving your attention for something more suitable, more reliable, perhaps just pictures of bunnies and cats. So I'll pause there. Scott, do you think that's a an accurate de- description of what they've proposed with SIFT?
1: I, I think that's a dead on uh, description. Um, and I think, it, in other words, we can say it, it's how to how to look like you're thinking without actually thinking, mm. thinking by skipping the thinking part. I guess is maybe a good way to say it. Uh, yeah,
0: I, I I think that's a very very good way to say it. Uh, so, so we we have this idea that was with, with the, this four I guess four step acronym that you follow. Right, first is to stop. So. Uh, I think what they're saying, you come across a piece of information and it's it's bothering you. Uh, maybe it, again, it, it grabs your attention, it's emotional. They're saying, well, stop right there before you even click into this information. and and then and then you're gonna go into the next part, which is investigate the source. I think I could say I agree with that because I find it it is a, a challenge if you're going to spend time on any of these these news networks or even doing searches, you're going to get a lot of information thrown at you, and if you're if you're going to look at every single issue equally, you're never going to have enough attention for that, right? So there, there's something to be said for listen. Something comes across you; it kind of strikes you as interesting, or maybe it's it upsets you. Do you really need to look into that? Do you really need to focus on that? I think the stop uh, first part of the SIF process isn't isn't a bad idea. Um, and you know, I, you know, I, I talk a little bit later. I have got a couple ideas about that, but I mean, what about you? Do you, do you think there's anything wrong with that type of approach?
1: No, n- not at all. Um, you know, overall, uh, I think there's like you said, this is definitely a laudable goal to try to help uh, help you come up with a process for cutting down through cutting through all this disinformation, and uh, it's important to have sort of a high level triage process to be able to determine what's worth your time and what's not. Uh, So yeah, first, first step is definitely stop. Um, You don't want to just read through an article and accept it as true, take it at face value. Uh, Even an article from a place like the New York times or the Washington post or the New York post, any place that's got a a name to it. You you don't Mm want to just read it and accept it as being true. The, one thing that I would say that they may be left out here is first read the whole article. Don't just read the headline in the first paragraph. Yeah. Yeah. Read the whole article and find out what the claim actually is. Uh, Cause we know that sometimes, you know, on the less cynical side, sometimes the folks at these publications who write the headlines, aren't the people who wrote the articles. So they may not get the headline 100% accurate or the the headline that they give. It may not reflect the article 100% accurately. On the more cynical side, they're trying to get clicks and try to get people to read the article. So they may intentionally uh, sort of seed the headline, I guess, with some provocative words or or, uh, thoughts to try to get you to read the article. And I know one criticism early on of some of the COVID reporting was there was a lot of headlines going around. You know, there's something like, you know, 12 year old dies from COVID and this was to fight the narrative that young people are not necessarily susceptible to COVID. And then when you read the article in paragraph seven or eight, it'll say, oh, yeah, you know, also has diabetes or, uh, right. you know, heart failure or something. Right. That, that there was some uh, a comorbidity involved and that didn't get included in the headline or even the first couple of paragraphs. So definitely. So, yes, stop. But don't stop until you've read the whole whole article and you understand the entire argument.
0: Yeah yeah and you know some other another thought that comes to mind is that we are soaked in news the news cycle today, the 24 by 7 by 365 cycle that encroaches further and further If you've got notifications on your phone and you're hearing about the latest um, shooting the latest, comment by the head of a, of a nation, whatever the information may be, you don't really have context at the time for it, right? And the, the brain doesn't think in terms of that context. So it's just, just constantly being bombarded with this information. And, uh, you know, just at a high level, you know, prioritizing what you want to take in is, is important. If, uh, you know, having good digital routines that basically say, I'm not going to be around this information all the time. Would, would lower your stress levels and also lower your susceptibility to be engaged with your attention on activities or information that you don't really care about, but maybe upsets you. And so I, I think there's, a, there's probably a pre-step here that I would recommend, uh, and I, I've, I've suggested to others, and, and I'm by no means immune to not being engaged in the news cycle and the, the rage machine, if you will, you, you really have to balance out your consumption patterns, and and I know I don't always do a great job of that. There's uh, there's times when I certainly don't, but when I, when I do, I notice that the information doesn't have the same impact to me. Right? The, those those clickbait titles aren't as um, they're easier to resist, which which I think is is another aspect. Just knowing how to prioritize. So, but so I think we I agree. Uh, you know, stop is is fine, but get a little bit more information if it's something you actually want to focus on. Um, so the next part that we have here is investigate the source. And I, I have to imagine this is an area where both of us are a little bit scratching our head, seeing as how this is coming from the New York times. Uh,
1: exactly, (laughs) exactly. That's what I was thinking as I was reading this. Um, always consider the source, consider the incentives involved. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and consider how you're investigating the source too. Right. Uh, in the article, they mentioned going out to Google and, and doing a search to get information on the source. Well, I mean, there's uh, not saying it is or isn't, but there's definitely a lot of people out there who think that Google itself is going to give you biased results. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other source that they recommend is Wikipedia, which yep. <laughs> anyone can write... I mean almost anything they want on Wikipedia. Right. Um, you know so you, you just don't have there's no assurance that what you're reading on Wikipedia is accurate and it's not just someone's opinion. Uh, right. Just go out there and look at a lot of the the folks who are on the right and in the first paragraph on Wikipedia it calls them alt-right and racist or something like that right. just because they questioned BLM or, or or something of that nature in the past. Um, so, and so if you do that, or, or let me take the example from the article with uh, what was it Robert F Kennedy Jr. Uh, yes, you know where a, a a quick investigation of the source showed him to be an anti-vaxxer conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that that doesn't really tell us a lot. Just because he's an anti-vaxxer conspiracy theorist doesn't mean that he's wrong when he criticizes the COVID vaccine. <laughs> right. So, right. Yeah. Um, that's.
0: Well, so, so do you think it's a fair statement to say uh, the way in which they're going about this is to kind of create a sort of tribal affiliation? I feel like it's in group out group. Like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is a great example, right? He's part of the anti-vax movement. Therefore, if if I'm you know I see an article from him a uh, concern about either of these virus, uh these vaccines coming out, then he's you know I I put that in the camp of those are the those are the silly people that aren't aren't worth taking seriously
1: exactly Uh, you know they mentioned that his his viewpoints are not part of the consensus therefore you shouldn't waste your time listening to him so what you're saying or i think the actual quote um i think i wrote it down here let's see well it was something along the lines of his, his opinion wasn't part of the census. So it was motivated by something other than science. So what they're saying hmm. is that anyone outside of the consensus is not following science, yeah. meaning if you want to be, if you want to be accepted, you have to be part of the census. Otherwise you're pseudoscience or your conspiracy theorist. Well, right. we all know that there's a lot of reasons why people can join in with the consensus that have nothing to do with science. And we know that there are people who can use science to come up with a viewpoint outside of the consensus. Uh, you know, just look at Copernicus and Galileo, right? They right. they were outside of the consensus to the point where they lost their freedom, and yet history has proved them out to be correct. So do we really want to marginalize people who are outside of the consensus? And when you consider the race for research funding for... Uh, jobs at universities promotions there's a lot of incentive for people to be in the consensus so to speak um, even if it's right. just to not get ostracized out of your social groups uh, so in yeah, and, and out and, what yeah I was just gonna say so whether you're inside or outside of the consensus is it's almost a moot point I mean you, you have to look at the essence or the 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 meat of the claim right and not how someone is being classified by. Uh, some article that you found on Google,
0: right? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And, and to me, this is this is going into tribal. As I said before, in group, out group, tribal affiliation. We don't have to take that group seriously because uh, we've already deemed them to be uh, sort of heretics. And and, and point I want to make here is if is you know S- Scott just mentioned a couple of old dead white dudes, and I know it's a lot of people that may listen to this and and in the in the in the space in which we're talking about race relations, and we talk a lot about the, the importance of, of some of these ideas, go to a place in the Middle East and, and and go go on YouTube and go search for clerics that are speaking out against their their religious traditions in their country and see how they're treated there. And and, and I, I remember a specific one, it, it came from Saudi Arabia and it was translated from Arabic to English. And the cleric was... Railing on his country, railing on the other uh, men of faith that were driving all of these bad ideas, and I, I was shocked when I saw that because you know I was I was raised in the Middle East. We never saw anything like that all we saw was consensus. We didn't see anybody who was going against the grain. So people people this idea that well we have to we have to look for the consensus. They don't actually see the downside of what a consensus model looks like they're making a lot of assumptions that we've got a, a, a robust scientific method, which is routinely looking for truth, exists outside of an incentive structure. And therefore, it actually, if, if you actually are just working through the process, and enough scientists do it and they replicate results, we're able to get to the actual truth and we can actually dismiss ideas like those from, from Mr. Kennedy, rather than the truth that we all see and I think became absolutely... Vividly on display last year with what happened with COVID, with the WHO and the misinformation we had from then, with the inter- misinformation. I, I know we'll get into that a little bit more of it. You know, the miscommunication about masks, whether or not they actually did anything, what was a mouth covering. Uh, you know, even to today where we're, we're discussing and debating the the distribution methods for the vaccine and. As as we're recording this, there's countries that are that are taking some vaccines off the market because of negative outcomes in their population. They're saying they're no longer safe. So, you read this article from Mr. Kennedy who's warning a month ago, let's just say, about vaccines and what they may have adverse effects. Everyone calls him a nut job on the on the consensus and then you have you know, six weeks later, where you have several countries taking I think it was AstraZeneca's vaccine off the market. They could be entirely unrelated. And they, they very well maybe I don't have enough content there. But it, it, it points to the fact that when you just try and take somebody, rather than the meat of their argument, you take somebody and just trying to do away with them. You, you're really doing yourself a disservice.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, just, just because somebody lied to you 10 times, doesn't mean they're lying to you the 11th time, just because somebody was wrong, just because, uh, you know, someone believes that, uh, you know, Trump supporters are, you know, Russian lizard people sent here by the God Argwa to, you know, take over the earth. Doesn't mean that that person (laughs) doesn't mean that that person is wrong about some unrelated topic. It doesn't mean that they're wrong about a vaccine. Um, And, you know, when I was reading this, I thought back to, I think it was last summer where there was a group of doctors who went, they held a press conference, uh, basically attacking the government for withholding um, hydroxychloroquine uh, Mm -hmm. from the public. And they were talking about all of their experience, all the success that they had had using hydroxychloroquine to treat covid And then we started to hear stories about how the one of the ladies, one of the doctors who was at the head of this thing had some had some crazy, really out there belief about God or something like that. I don't remember exactly. And we were supposed to use that to discredit her experience using this medication in real life. And it it just doesn't follow. But according to this model, the SIF model, you, you would be excused in dismissing everything she claimed just Uh because of her off-the-wall beliefs in some other area. Right.
0: Have you ever listened to Mr. Kennedy speak?
1: I have. I've heard him on uh, the Ron Paul Liberty Report a few times.
0: Okay. I I, I have as well. Uh, I listened to a a few conversations or talks he's had. Uh, Honestly, many of the things he said I didn't find very compelling. Uh, There were other items that I I found more compelling. Um, I I don't think it's that hard – For people to listen to someone speak, share information, and be able to at some point arrive at a conclusion. Um, I I just, I guess, I give people more the benefit of the doubt, uh, kind of a freedom thing. But I, I don't know. What what was your take when you've listened to him in the past?
1: Uh, He sounded articulate, well-spoken. Sounded like he knew what he was talking about. So I never, like you, I wasn't necessarily convinced by what he is saying but i could see that there's possibly some merit to it and that it would be worth something looking into deeper uh, if i wanted to i wouldn't just dismiss him because the new york times calls him as conspiracy theorists let me put it that way
0: right and and let's be
1: very clear
0: I, i i'm gonna this is my opinion i don't have facts for this but i can only imagine it given his family's history he's related to to John and Bobby Kennedy the whole the whole obviously the, the whole Kennedy family if he was on the opposite side of the spectrum and being a a face for vaccination he would receive constant positive attention from the media yeah exactly yeah. so let's let's not pretend for a minute that it it somehow has to do just with him speaking out and talking about science and getting into an area he's 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 against consensus as they're saying and because of that there's character assassination that goes with it
1: exactly in fact he's probably made himself even more of a target considering his name and he's going against the uh the liberal narrative
0: yes i i i I agree um and 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 we see this all too often um and it's it's a problem but you know, one of the other points that they, they talk about here, as you said, was investigating the source, which was to do Google, to do a um, to do a, a Wikipedia search, other types of these these types of, I guess, uh, established or reliable sources. So I, I read about this test that Douglas Murray did in The Madness of Crowds, uh, which is a book in which he, he sort of goes after a certain social ideas that he believes are, are, are rather problematic or he, as he says, madness rather than, than you know, to screw with your sense making. And one of the ones he does is he goes into Google and he searches on different terms. And uh, there's, there's some criticism of this. I, I don't think it's scientific at all, but it, it is an interesting point. If you, if you type in straight, happy, straight couples, you will get a, uh, and you look at the images there, you'll see a couple of straight couples and then you'll see some gay couples and they can be lesbians or gays. Um, and then if you type in happy gay couples, you get 100% gay couples or 99% of it, right? And the point he, he made in the book was that the, the algorithm is not giving the information that I'm asking for, right? Uh, I've asked for happy straight couples implying, you know, a heterosexual relationship. And I'm asking for happy. If it came back with people that looked depressed or were contemplating suicide or they were all single, I would argue that Google is doing a poor job of providing results. Uh, in this case, it's just kind of a, a confusing sort of bit of information that when I type in images for happy straight couples, I get a mixed bag. And yet when I put in for, for gay couples, again, all happy, they very much appear to be same sex for pretty much all the images. And as I mentioned, it's not scientific. I think some other people, uh, since, since he published that, uh, pointed to the fact that it's not, um, you know, if he goes different in the results, maybe it's just the, the terms that are being used. But it points to a question of how are the algorithms designed to provide the information? They're black boxes. We don't actually know how the algorithms are designed. And it's it's unclear to me that they are going to be giving a, a accurate depiction of the information or the information that I necessarily want to see versus the information they think I should be seeing, right? Um, I, I don't know. And, 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 and the question could, I mean, re- should really be poised. How do we ever know? That the, the algorithms like can we can we can we go out there and test them, that they're giving the information, particularly on charged issues like this. If I'm putting something about COVID and trying to get information around um, hydrochloroquine last year, or uh, Evavectorin, I think is another drug I heard about. What information are they going to put at the top of the results, right? Or let's do something like uh, Chinese dissidents that are being jailed. Are the first 10 articles all going to be from different news sources that are supported by the PRC and talk about how this is just propaganda? So how, how do I use this idea of looking at, um, you know, investigate the source? How, how do I, how do I interpret that? I mean, What do you think about that? I, I'm not sure I would even call it an argument, more of an observation.
1: No, I, th- I think you're correct because the platform that you're using to investigate the sources itself could be giving you biased results as you were, as you were saying. And the problem with a black boxed algorithm like Google's is we don't know if we're optimally entering the search terms or not. We, we may think we are, you know, searching for uh, happy straight couples may seem pretty straightforward, but we don't know what Google's algorithm is doing with that. Right. The other thing, too, is that I'm not exactly sure how Google works, but, I, you know, you have the ability to tag images. So how do we know that the people who are operating the websites aren't tagging images of happy gay couples with happy straight couple causing, mm-hmm. you know, no maliciousness through Google, but just yeah. through the way Google works, just returning those images uh, incorrectly or, or correctly, according to the algorithm, but incorrectly, according to what you're searching, searching for. Uh, so, because we know that web developers really aren't—they aren't above trying to game the system a little bit to get some extra attention on their websites.
0: Absolutely. Well, I, I do want to point out uh, there is a, a, a very famous VC uh, um, entrepreneur named Paul Graham who lives in he's in San Francisco. He's the co-founder of uh, I think Y Combinator and. He, he posted something on Twitter to the effect of he spoke to engineers at Google and they, they said, listen, we don't make changes in the results like this. However, there have been discussions about it, which to me points to two, two things. We, we needed someone who, with access to the engineer who, who has enough respect in the industry to get access to these engineers who are then going to give him an honest response. We couldn't verify the information without him getting a response from them. And they were also in discussions about changing it. Would we even know if they did?
1: Exactly. And if it's returning unbiased results, what needs to be changed? I mean, I, you know, I mean yeah. obviously, there's something in the algorithm that's that's rank ordering these web pages and we don't know what it is. We don't know if it's because it's what Google wants you to see, or if it's because it's what Google thinks you want to see, or if it's, like I said, the, you know web developers and SEO experts somehow gaming the system. Yeah.
0: Uh, so right now I think we're starting to see a crack in what they're trying to use as this method. Um, but let's let's go on and see if we, we have other issues. So the next one says find better coverage, which to me sort of gets into the next one, which is tracing claims, quotes, and media to the original source. So find the coverage that you think is more reliable, and then and then from there you're supposed to go deeper so you can actually get to source information. I, I and again. I thought that there's a little bit of a of an incentive issue here, right? The New York Times is telling you that you need to go find a better source of information, and I believe their marketing says all the news fit to print. <laughs> yep. So are they Good not people. a little bit biased here and yeah. saying, "Come, w- listen, all information is 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 not equal. You have to find better coverage." Oh, by the way, that could be us.
1: <laughs> oh, by the way, that is us. I think. Oh,
0: yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs>
1: what, what was, was I done. thinking <laughs> yeah trust us we'll do your thinking for you
0: yeah exactly so so what did you think about that next next part so, of the process
1: the big problem I had with these last three steps the investigate the source find better coverage and trace claims is it's all pretty vague um, especially find better coverage like, what is better coverage it's to someone like me the New York Times isn't going to be better coverage um, something like uh, you know a, a more obscure, Um, independent media website like uh, antiwar.com is going to be better coverage. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So my own biases are going to lead me. It's confirmation bias at work. My own biases are going to lead me in the direction that I want to go. And the, the thing, maybe the thing I find most problematic about SIFT is that it doesn't really it doesn't give you a way to control for those for that confirmation bias because it's not really encouraging you to actively seek out disconfirming information. And I have a feeling that a lot of people, as I was looking through this, it's, it almost seemed like it was a two-step process. Stop, investigate the source, which they said should take about 30 to uh, 90 seconds, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, how many people are going to stop there? They're going to run their Google search. They're going to see the little snippets on the Google results page, read those, and get their biases confirmed and they're going to stop there. And then they're going to claim that they did the research and that they're well informed when the truth is, is they did not go anywhere beyond just reading the headlines essentially. Yeah. So the find better coverage thing, this is a spot where you really, you have to be able to look at different sources. You have Mm -hmm. to know the ins and outs of each one, the biases of each one, and you have to be able to overcome that, uh, the cognitive dissonance that comes with maybe reading a source that's you're not going to agree with, right? Just so you can try to evaluate the claims and see which which side is is compelling. And I think I know you've got it listed later on when we're going to talk talk about the mental models, but this is where probabilistic thinking comes in. Right. Stop thinking of it as, you know, Robert F. Kennedy's either right or wrong. Think of it as well. What parts of his argument have some merit? What parts of his argument don't? And right. then from a probability perspective, where do you land on that? Is it that the, the COVID vaccine is, you know, you're 80% sure that it's safe, but there's still some lingering questions. Are you 100%, you know, are you, you 80% sure it's, it's not safe? But then there's some lingering questions there. Uh, and th- that's the problem with disinformation. Is you're never going to know for sure, especially with right. the internet in play, because anything that you give me that you say is science, I could probably, with an hour or two of work, go find some other you know science that refutes it. Right. Uh, anyone who's ever tried to read about nutrition should know that because there's, <laughs> I mean, a hundred different opinions. Um, yeah. You know, or you know, something as simple as how to work out, how to do a squat. I mean, there's go out on YouTube and search how to do a squat. You'll probably get 50 different, you know, so-called experts telling you the proper way to squat. Uh, so you have to come to a point where you, you may just have to accept that there is no one right answer or that if there is one right answer, you're never gonna, you're never going to find the smoking gun. That's going to give you that answer.
0: Yeah. Well, I also wonder if this is part of this legacy media gasping for error, where they, they want to be able to control the information. They want to be able to say, we're, we're going to gate it. We can tell you when it's done. And at the same time, they're going to ask us to excuse all of the clear indications that they are no longer capable of doing, of having general, journalistic integrity. and and carrying it out in the way that it was supposed to be in an ideal world, right? So something as simple as verifying sources and having two sources for a a piece of information that's particularly damning. And we we talked offline a little bit about this before, before the conversation, but during the last campaign or the last administration, there were multiple examples where... Uh, officials were misquoted, and I don't just mean the omission of, a, of an and or a the, some kind of article or pronoun. No, the intent was changed from what they actually said, or it was cha- it, the words were changed to imply a different type of intent. Uh, we saw uh, images being cut or spliced. We saw uh, just nonstop effort to sort of drive home a specific type of agenda rather than provide the actual truth. And it's even more stark, me or more I'm trying to think of the right way to frame it, but it's it's even more surprising to me that they felt the need to do this. There was a clear distrust and dislike of the of the previous administration. I can understand that. There's a lot of great criticisms that can be made of of the man you know, of his policies. You know, put his policies aside. You can make many good criticisms against him, but the fact that they're willing to take their standards and just throw them out the window makes it harder for me to see when they're actually doing their job. And so, the latest example I think came out this week, where they had quoted President Trump speaking to a uh, the official that was in charge of uh, the election. Uh, so the, the the election official in, in Georgia, and he was quoted as saying, "Go go find these people, uh, go go find these votes, and you know, basically, I'm going to offer you a job to, to that fact." But it, it, and I'm totally butchering what it, what was said, but it was it was very clear across the line, illegal type of information. And this comes out; it's 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 published multiple times in the Washington Post. It goes all over the the traditional media outlets. And then uh, just this last week, so it was two months ago, just this last week, they did a retraction because they claimed that they finally got access to the audio and the audio said nothing, not even close to what was shared. And there's there's a variety of ways to look at that. I think the more uh, generous view would say that they had a junior reporter who uh, just ran with what they had heard and didn't do their fact checking. There's a more cynical view that says, they had a very clear idea of what outcome they wanted, and they wanted to paint the administration as being clearly and illegal, and so they're going to run that story. And again, it comes back to this idea: well, find better coverage. Well, how exactly are we supposed to find better coverage when, when we have you know journalistic standards, which include having two sources, not allowing. To, to publish just hearsay without noting that it's hearsay, not allowing to have uh, sources that are never public—not that, that they have to be shared with the public, but that the the publisher and the and the, the editors actually know who these sources are and, and they can vouch for them—all that seems to have just sort of gone by the wayside when it when it fits a specific idea or narrative. So, you know. I, I feel like then we're, we're, our, our new sources are saying, well, listen, we're better sources, you should trust us, when what we're seeing is the emergence of the masses being able to crowdsource information differently. And you, you d- it does beg the question, I mean, do you guys just go away? Is, is, is the problem isn't, isn't whether or not we're finding better sources, it's that we need better access to a multitude of sources to be able to triangulate better. I mean, that's that's somewhat what comes to mind when i when I think about this idea of find better coverage
1: exactly uh, The question comes up is how do you find those sources if you're relying on Google, I think your sources are generally going to consist of the new york times c n n and the Washington post yeah. most of the time uh, I know. I you know, I know um I listened to Scott Horton's podcast and he's I think the associate editor editor at antiwar.com. and he's he's mentioned several times on his podcast about how they've they've been deranked by Google so that their stories don't appear on the front page. Right. So, you know, if you're trying to research, you know, the war in Yemen or something, you're probably gonna get a one sided view of it. You're not gonna get the anti war side well Yemen's maybe not a good example because I think even some of the mainstream sources are kind of turning against that at this point. Uh, But let's say Afghanistan, right? You're not going to get the the anti-war standpoint. You're not going to be hearing from the folks in the military and ex-military who are over in Afghanistan who are now uh, picking up the torch for ending that war. You're you're just going to hear the mainstream uh, media and political sources. And that's the danger. So, and I don't have an answer. I mean, I've, I've got my list of things that I look at. Yep. Like I said, because of some of the podcasts I listen to, I'm aware of other websites that present um, differing viewpoints. But for the average person, I, they may not have that. They may look at the New York Times as a credible, unbiased source. Right. Yeah. And that's that's I, I, one I, of the problems.
0: I I feel like, and actually, that gets into this this bias. That people have that, that you know, they, I'll call it, I think it's the um, the halo effect or horn effect, right? The inverse of each other. So they, they, they take the New York Times, they put it on a pedestal, they don't really question whether or not there's other motives, right? Because they've kind of selected their sources and any of the information coming from those sources must be believed, right? So it, it takes away some of the mental energy it takes to to question. And, and you could say the same thing for someone who let's just say, watches Fox News all day and doesn't question any of the information that they're providing. So you can have a similar effect, uh, but with different slants or political viewpoints on the on the information. And, you know, ultimately, if, if it's, you know, depending on the importance of what you're looking at, you should be, I think the best course of action is to triangulate where you're getting Uh, and and trying to get as many facts as you can from different sources and coming up with an interpretation of of what they say. Uh, Obviously, you're not going to do this on on everything, on every single news story that comes through. You don't have the attention, which I I know is part of the reason they talk about SIFT in the first place. You don't have the ability to do that. But if it is something that you care deeply about, that's something that really you feel compelled to be reading about, then it's, it's worth the extra extra effort to do that. So I don't think it's just finding better coverage. I think it's triangulating across coverage. You know, um, exactly.
1: Maybe you know, find a, a breadth of coverage rather than yeah. better coverage. Uh, you know, And again, c- confirmation bias will come in here. If You may think that the New York Times and the Washington Post are the better coverage while Fox News is the worst coverage because they're handling a story from different angles or or coming to different conclusions. So you can't let your confirmation or your biases drive you in one direction. And, you know, and you know, uh, reading articles from a hundred newspapers that are just parroting the New York Times isn't going to give you a breadth of opinion.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the last step in here, which I already mentioned, is trace claims, quotes, and media to the original source. And I, I, honestly, everything I just said about the misquoting of Trump and his people, and, and I've seen it just across the board, it makes us laughable, especially coming from the New York Times. And so uh, this is a problem in, in, in that there is so much money to be made by misquoting and misattributing information to people because one side or the other is going to be gleeful click to, to read about it, uh, you're going to make a lot more money lying about people than you are about telling the truth. I think that's the incentive structure for the clickbait model that we see online. And that's, that is that is the problem that actually getting to the claims, the quotes, the media is – is growing harder and harder um, I think as, as we just heard this week about you know the quote coming out from Trump and, and
1: being not even close to what was actually said right and and sometimes it's not that the the quotes are are wrong it's that they are taken out of context or you're only getting half yeah. of the quote um, you know remember the infamous there's good people on both sides from Trump. Right. You know, it, when you just take that one sentence, OK, it, it can definitely sound like he's saying that some of the, the Nazis that were at Charlottesville were good people. But when you listen to the follow up question in his response where he clarified, he made it clear that he was not saying that the good people were the were the Nazis who were there, but that there yeah. were good people there who were opposed to the bringing down of the, to the taking down yeah. of that statue. Uh, but the news coverage will often leave that second part out. And so you can't be faulted for hearing that one sentence and thinking that what you're being told is true. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, and, and then like you mentioned, you know, doctored, doctored pictures on the internet, um, Trump impeachment 2.0, but they had a, the Democrats presented a tweet where they had added the check mark next to, uh, you know the blue check mark next to some person who sent out a tweet and 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 the the person that had not earned a blue check mark on tweet, on twitter and and, and, and for those un-
0: who are not familiar with the blue check yeah. mark it is a verification system by twitter i think it's about as as accurate <laughs> as yeah. inaccurate as they come as, as far as verification goes but it's still a step above on the twitter Twitter, right? Sphere.
1: It's 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 supposed to lend some added credibility to the person, right. You know, but as if a, a blue check mark means you're never going to be wrong or you're never going to have a, a, a misinterpreting of facts or anything. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, so as as evidence against Trump, a tweet was presented and the Democrats had added, had photoshopped in this blue check mark in the file to try, I guess, try to add some credibility to it. And yeah. when the Democrats got called out on it. I, I think it was on um, part of the problem uh, another podcast i listened to where they were playing a clip from someone who was defending what the democrats did by saying well it was just a small change to the evidence <laughs> and,
0: oh my gosh you know, and it's which, like which you know, let's sorry, be clear
1: any change I, to the evidence is not acceptable you know, yes. i don't care if it's big or small and huh. if you are going to change evidence right you have to be you have to be open about it you know say like you know the the original version of this picture was grainy so we enhanced it so you're not seeing, you know uh-huh. so you're seeing a computer enhanced version of this, you know in cases like that then altering evidence may be acceptable but you have I, to let I, people know you're altering it but in in that case any altering of evidence is not yeah. acceptable but but so. I, that's the,
0: let's take a step back and think about that for a minute someone had the idea that we should enhance the evidence so it's going to appear a certain way I'm going to take a stand here. I'm going to have an opinion here. Those same people are subscribers to the New York Times, which has a left-leaning bias. And and anybody who says it isn't, I I really, I'm not sure we can engage too much on that point. If you don't think that, then I guess we just agree to disagree. Has a left-leaning bias. How they want you to use these types of techniques in order to find the right information. They are also willing, as this last step, that says trace claims, quotes and media, the original source. They also seem okay with altering that that information so you can't actually get to the real data. (laughs) So the same people that are telling you to use these techniques to cut down on this this horrible information pollution are fine with distorting it and using it for their own gains. And this isn't on one side, no political party has a monopoly on stupidity and overreach and destroying what uh, what we take sacred in this country or Seems other like countries. I just saw
1: that in a tweet just a couple. Yeah, days ago. <laughs> I think I said that.
0: And so, but 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 kind of keep that in mind. You know, again, think about the source where you got the information is not a terrible idea. And that's different from tribalism, and that's different from ad hominem attacks.
1: Right. And and remember what what source is the New York Times quoting someone is not necessarily the source, the person that they're quoting is the source. So if the New York times or, well, I mean, let's just not say the New York, let's just say the, the media outlet, if they're relying on an an anonymous source, you know, which Mr. And Mrs. Anonymous have been really busy the last four years, uh, talking to a lot of media outlets, but if you're relying on anonymous source, well, how do you really check the source? right you're relying on someone else who talked to that source relaying the information to you and then we get into the phone game you know where how do we know you're really telling us what the source told you how do we know that that source has any credibility how do we know that source isn't biased and has an agenda so yeah
0: that's the exact right thinking to be asking this question and to give it some kind of scale a conversation between joe rogan Peter Boghossian and James Lindsay from a couple of years ago where they were talking about the hoax that they did, the critical studies hoax. And they had 20 some papers that they had published. They talked about this sort of um, I forgot the term that they used but how all of this, the critical theory scholarship relies on other scholarship. And there therefore you'll see these these papers that have been cited you know like let's just say 10,000 times just massive number of citations but they've never actually been criticized they've never actually been reviewed there's 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 nothing actually holding them up saying you know they've actually found a truth in nature like you could with a scientific finding right but they in, instead it's just it's agreement for all these ideas um it's possible even in sort of this scientific framework that you can create just a mountain of BS that you don't have to validate. It. And so it's not exactly the same kind of challenge, but it offers up a same or the same kind of, um, now I wouldn't say challenge is the right word, but it's not exactly the same thing, but you kind of come to this amplified idea of what's going on that's just distorted. Um, you know, oh, we have all these scholarship and we have all the scholarship in critical studies. It's like, well, not really. I mean, it's all citing stuff that that could be completely bogus. No one's ever looked into it.
1: Um, so you kind of like fiat currency, right? It just has value because everybody agrees it does. Um. It's just constantly
0: inflated. Yes. (laughs)
1: Right. Yeah. All right. So, and there's a federal reserve or there's a, a federal critical studies board, just pumping this stuff into the economy, just, just <laughs> pumping it out, pumping it out. All right. So we've, we've, we've spoken about
0: a few of the, the challenges of the framework as we see them. I, I think for the audience, maybe they want to hear about our ideas of how we could do better, or maybe if not better, maybe some, some alternatives or different ways of looking at it. So, um, you know, I was thinking about a couple of ideas. I, I think you, you thought of some as well, the first one I thought about was what all was called blackout. I just not engaging on information. So you know, I, I think maybe Tim Ferriss once called this a low information diet, where you're just not reading the news. You don't have you have your notifications turned off. You don't look at social media. You maybe and if you're on social media, maybe you change the filters so you're not actually seeing reports of information. Um, and You're just not engaging on it at all. You really you're, it's not like you're. You're having to use SIF to kind of figure out if the information's accurate or inaccurate. You're just not engaging on the information at all. What, what do you think about that
1: approach? I that's a great approach. It's difficult, but it's a great approach. Uh, <laughs> it is know, difficult. especially if you have friends and family who are always wanting to talk politics with you. Sure. But even even if you can't completely black out your or Black out your information restricting it uh, can help that way yep. maybe you're only you're only getting exposed to the stories that are really really making a lot of news at that time right. um, which you know there again it could still be the wrong stories that are making news um, so there's no perfect way to do it I don't think other than you know turn off the TV and never talk to anybody I guess one. Yeah.
0: You know, it, it, it's also hard if it's something of interest to you. But I think you can, you can fill some of that need by reading long form versus short form. And I find personally that if I'm interested in a topic, whatever the topic may be, you know, I, I talk a lot about it. It's not here offline about the CCP in China. I talk about critical studies, uh, race issues. Those are uh, in economics. Those are interesting to me. So I can find long form pieces that, that provide a little bit more context, a little bit more nuance. Yeah. And, and that tends to take the temperature down a few degrees for me for when I see a, um, an article because it just um, and it also it also fills the, the void because I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm answering the questions that are in my head. So I'm curious. Well, why is it that way? Is, is there a better way of doing it? uh but then i'm also i'm also not engaging on you know short form information like what would come through the newspaper that
1: ends up just being clickbaity in my opinion right and i would add to that the try to stick with the long form sources that have endured over some period of time uh, cuz those are most likely the ones that are going to be have the most credibility uh, yeah. You know, we saw. I got some mass, critical mass right, out. Yeah. Because, I mean, these days, people seem like they can crank a book out in two months. Uh, so just because <sighs> they, they it's it. in a book, if it's something yeah, that's, you know been published in the last few months, eh, it may not have withstood the test of time. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm thinking, didn't Cuomo write a book about his response to handling COVID? And now we're, we're starting to hear a lot of, about a lot of issues with him in the nursing homes. Wow. So,
0: wow. 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 Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's, that's a book. Talk that's about gonna, a retraction. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I don't think that's a book that's going to really stand up to the test of time.
0: No, no, you're absolutely right. I think if, if you're reading a topic, um, there's a lot of good information that goes back. Um, it could even go back decades, right? If you're interested in like, you know, culture and how it how it grows in different countries and sort of our engagement in those in those countries foreign policy as an example there's there's so many good books that aren't timely but that that's irrelevant right um so no. I, but I, I do think you know low information is a good way to go yeah, the next one i have on here is not sharing and I think that's as simple as, listen, just because you're reading information, you find it interesting, doesn't necessarily mean you have to repost it, republish it, reshare it with everybody. And that way, yes, you can be engaged in some of these ideas and maybe you're getting some of that information noise, but you're also not propagating it if that's a
1: concern for you. What do you think about that? This is another good one. Uh, You know, discriminate highly in what you share. And when you share it, you know, maybe don't always share it as you believe it as the definitive truth. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe I don't know, be a little more hedge a little bit. Say, Hey, you know, I read this interesting thing in this book and it said, you know, this, and it's just one source, but I, I, I thought it was interesting. And, you know, the author, I've read other books by him or her and, you know, she seems credible, but I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Just you have to always be open to the fact that you may not. No matter how long the book's been around, how how much time it's it's been around to build up credibility, you still run the risk that that, you know you may be still getting some bad information. Yeah, absolutely. Something that was believed to be true ten years ago that's now been discredited.
0: Yeah, and and that's part of the process, and we know that. That's that's part. When the process is working correctly. The the method will take the the cream, rise it to the top, and everything else falls out. Right? We want bad ideas to to um, disintegrate in sunlight. And so, if you share information that's old and you can provide some good context around it, it can still be valuable. Uh, but the, I, th- I think the sort of the the principle of you can read a lot, but share a little least publicly like that is, is a good idea. The, the other thing I would say is that, you know, podcasts, as, as we're having right now, are, are an interesting medium to share information. However, they are, as ours is, it's unscripted, right? We don't, we don't have all of our thoughts set out in a, in a perfect agenda where everything is contemplated. It's possible we can say things that are inaccurate. I know I do. I'll, I'll, I'll misinterpret a, a fact and so, if if you're only listening to podcasts to hear information, realize I mean that is different from reading a book, and even different from reading an article that can be fact checked in, in a specific way. It doesn't necessarily mean what they're saying is wrong. But I know a lot of people. I, I I'll, I'll always call it the uh, the uh, the Daily. Uh, what was the show um, uh, that came out with John Stewart?
1: Oh, the Daily Show.
0: The Daily Show, right? It, you know, I remember way back in the day watching it, being entertained by it. And he, he would say, like, listen, we're not a news show. We cover new stuff, but don't treat us as the news. And I remember a great conversation between him and Tucker Carlson back in the <laughs> early 2000s, where <laughs> yeah. he goes after Tucker and says, listen, I'm not the news. We're fake. You're supposed to be the news. You're supposed to be real. You're not doing your job. And But it, it didn't matter how many times John Stewart said that. You had young people, primarily young people, his demographic, that watched and thought, oh, I've, I've received the news. Well, you have it, right so 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 be be careful and particularly on what you share um, it's it, you know you, you'd be wise to share a little bit less unless it's photos of your family and other types of uh, pictures that, that people want to see
1: so yeah, that, that was the uh, infamous uh, crossfire interview right with I think so. Dr. Carlson so. one of the other guys, I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> where he said the lead into The Daily Show is a bunch of puppets making crank calls or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, So but good. Yeah, he's, he's got a point. There was one time where, I forget the exact number, but it was something like 60% of the people got their news from The Daily Show. And, oh, jeez. And that was, you know, maybe one good point in the article, in the New York Times article, is... Uh, one way to vet the sources is make sure that it's a serious news source, or, or yes. you know, claims to be a serious news source. If you're citing the Onion or the Babylon Bee, you probably you're probably getting it wrong. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, well, under, or you're uh,
0: just early. To, I mean, they've had some amazing predictions in the Babylon. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you know, make sure you're not looking at satire and, and right. Thinking that That's it's right. real. Um,
0: so I, I know you had one here that you just you just entitled I
1: don't know. Right. This, we've talked about this one on an earlier podcast. I forget which episode, but it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay. If someone asks you your opinion on some, something that you have not had time to look into, it's okay to say, I, I haven't had time to look into that and I don't know. Um, or like I mentioned in the last one, it's okay to say, well, I know A, B and C about it and I think X, but I don't know for sure. I don't have all the information. Um, and, this one, I think for me, this is my favorite one because I think a a lot of the information the disinformation that gets out there is coming from people who are convinced that they know and they're unwilling to say, I don't know. And that's, you know, people on podcasts, that's politicians, people in the news media, for some reason, they just don't want to say, I don't have all the information right now.
0: Right. Absolutely. And actually I saw uh, a post on Twitter about that today where they, they talked about it was a video i think from the late 90s early 2000s of uh, reporters talking about how amazon was losing all this money and how it just they didn't see how it could ever work and the, the i think it was actually a post from paul graham and he said something effective like reporters are just so smug uh they just think they're so right and yet they just don't understand exponential growth same same thing they got wrong on covid um which which i thought was an interesting observation but yeah, I mean, saying saying I don't know is is good. I I would add to that, you know, if if you're a curious person, and you're always interested in engaging with people. Um, you can assume the best of intentions. We talk about uh, sort of different different approaches to take with people for good conversation. But there, there's another side of it too, which is to be defensive and on your guard if someone's coming to you and you can tell that they're amped up and charged about a topic and they really want to talk about it. something you don't really know about realize they may want to flood you with information that's more emotional than logical and that their desire is just to more rant than anything else. Uh, And that's okay. If if you've got the emotional capacity to do that. Uh, I think I would even double down further as maybe I don't know and I don't care, or I don't know. And I'm sorry. I just, just don't pay attention to that. Uh, but it's something you know. Topics we take on this podcast isn't going to appeal to everybody, and I, I wouldn't expect it to. And if we went into a room and just randomly sat down next to someone and said, "Well, well, have you heard about the SIF method? And have you have you really got into all the criticism of it and all the biases?" And that person said, "Listen, I don't care. I'm going to be watching the Celtics play." You know, I, I would I would absolutely they would they would cry having to listen to me. I don't blame them i'm not that interesting yeah. so um yeah but i yeah. think I, I think i don't know is
1: good yeah, um what folks i'm crying right now so you know paul's trying, yeah paul's paul's onto something there he's telling yes yeah. <laughs> scott Scott's something so uh so the
0: next one we have on here is just sit and wait and and i think we've kind of talked about that before too that in in the 24 7 365 news cycle where you're always supposed to be uh in the know uh do the inverse of that. Be out of the know. Wait, wait for some time to pass. And this this could not be more timely. There was a terrible shooting in Atlanta just just within the last week, um, and it, and I think several of the victims were of Asian ancestry. And because there's been a rise in violence in certain cities, they 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 said, well, maybe this is an example of a hate crime, and it was a, a white perpetrator, a, a young white man, who killed them. And it, a bunch of people glommed on this to talk about white supremacy. And then just within, I mean, within 24 hours, that's how quickly people were willing to jump onto this terrible story and start trying to figure out without having enough of the facts. I think one of the uh, people in charge of the investigation said they found, they found evidence, uh, porn and other sexual paraphernalia, that would suggest that this person may have suffered from some kind of um, sexual issue. Uh, and that, he, they attacked women because they were they were having sexual issues. Um, and I mean, this all happened just within I think it's been 24, maybe 36 hours. And so there's nothing wrong with waiting. There's nothing wrong with waiting to get all the evidence to to hold out. You're not in the hot seat for making a decision. Just because you got that information today doesn't mean you have to you have to do something about it. And I would go back to not sharing if if you're going to be engaged. Wait, wait till you have more evidence.
1: Right. It's, it's hard, uh, especially when the news that's being presented to you is being presented a way to elicit some sort of an emotional reaction. Uh, But I don't know. I I really can't think of any times where sitting and waiting for more information has been a bad thing. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are, uh, you know, and we can go back to the, you know, what are the stakes and how reversible is it? Um, so, you know, if it's a high stakes situation, you may have to respond with little information, but uh, when you're talking about an an item in the news, uh, chances are you could probably wait a week or two, uh, before you, you really start uh, trying to form a, 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 a solid conclusion about what, what happened. Right. Yeah,
0: Absolutely. So I think the, the last one we had on this list was, you know, no news if it's not from books. Just I mean, we, we talked about that before. You know, if, if you're going to do a media blackout, um, like one way it could just be to read some books on the topic that you of interest. Um, and then, you know, sharing information, if you really feel the need and compelled to share books, oftentimes are able to provide some more context. If you think about it, I mean, the people are trying to bring together the best of them, as, as Scott pointed out. Read better books. Don't just you know you can read a lot. And that's that's your own prerogative. But if you're reading good books, you're going to be better informed, and um, they're going to have more context for what's happening, and um, and that that's going to slow you down as well, right? From this from this need to engage on the clickbait and be a little bit more contemplative about what's going on in the world. So, you think there's any
1: other approaches you would you would recommend? Uh, one that I can think of is. I just thought of it while you were talking is if you're going to engage with people on some of these topics, try to make it people who not necessarily agree with you, but who are open to different points of view, different opinions Mm -hmm. and are willing to, to sit and listen and potentially change their minds. I think you'll have much easier conversations. If you're going to talk to someone who is uh, just stuck in a particular position your conversation with them is probably not going to be productive right
0: right yeah no i i agree i mean always in, engage with good faith people and, and and engage in a good faith way and we started this conversation talking about trying to still, man or best describe what we understood the the sift method to be and what they were they were proposing and i, I would say before you criticize someone's argument Make sure you actually understand what it is. It, it's so easy today to just have an emotional response. Well, you're wrong about this. You're wrong about that. But we, we we get past the fact that we even understand what the person is saying or what they what they believe. So, you know, um, I I just think that's a that's a good way of, of kind of uh, trying to navigate. And and I honestly I think in many ways what we just suggested could be better than sift. Uh, so you know I'll give the first step. Stop a, a, you know, a, a thumbs up. The next two I'm, I'm critical of for all the reasons we shared today. And the last one, about finding the right sources. Absolutely. We shall be able to get to, to primary sources. The, the, the one thing that came to mind when I was reading the article is the, the a PhD student who was teaching uh, a freshman class was complaining that the students couldn't tell the difference between good primary uh, and even good secondary sources. And so she had to teach them some of these techniques. And what came to mind is we're, we're having to engage with SIF because we have such a crappy education system where people just aren't learning basic tools and techniques. And and maybe that's an overly cynical view, but it, it, it feels... I mean, honestly, what she was sharing wasn't that much different than you know some of the stuff that we had talked about in college back in the day. And I felt, you know, I don't know, maybe... maybe Maybe I'm too generous. Maybe I thought we were, we were doing a better job back then. Maybe we're just as knucklehead
1: as everyone else. (laughs) Uh, I've heard quite a few people say that one of the big problems with our education system is we're, we're teaching people to memorize facts. We're not teaching them how to think. And I I think that's, I think that's accurate. And this article, you know, overall, I, there's nothing inherently wrong with the SIFT framework if people apply it honestly and they put effort into it. It's. I don't think it's anything that's going to give you an answer in 90 seconds or 10 minutes. You have to do the legwork. Uh, my concern with it is that, like I said before, people are going to go through those first couple of steps and think they're informed when yeah. there's more work to do, or they're just going to run down the rabbit hole of confirming they're already their a priori conclusion, the conclusion that they've Mm. already reached and they're just going to do nothing but look at sources that confirm that. And that's no framework is going to work if that's your, if, if that's your goal.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Well, is, is there anything else we'd want to share?
1: No, you know, like I said, I, it it was kind of a love hate article for me. I think the intention was good. Um, from the standpoint of, you know you do need to take some time to think about to think about the information that you're being given. Uh, but you know one thing that I found problematic with the article is early on in the article, they said, you know the point of people spreading the disinformation is to try to get your attention for as long as possible. And then I guess it sounded like through something like the availability heuristic where the more you see something, the more uh-huh. you'll come to believe it's true. And yep. the author was saying that that's the danger, is that if you start researching this stuff and spending too much time paying attention to it, you're you're going to fall into the trap and start believing the disinformation. But it, it, it seems almost patronizing, where they were saying, D- don't you, little child, spend time looking into this stuff because you're not smart enough to know how to deal with it. You know, let the adults in the room handle it for you. And as I was right. reading it, I kept thinking by adults in the room, let the New York times and the Washington post handle all your thinking for you. And, and they're it's hard not the to have that interpretation. That, yeah, right. And they're discounting the fact that critical thinking requires time and attention. So yeah. it's like they're saying, think critically by not thinking critically. Or like I said, think without thinking. So that's, yeah. uh, that's kind of the, the, uh, the, the contradiction that I saw in, in the article. Um, yeah,
0: I, I, I agree. And it, it's, it is problematic, in my view, that uh, one of the sources that's cited so frequently in today's world, um, the New York Times, has this viewpoint when they are in many ways adding to the problem of not being able to get to good information. They compromise being a, a more legitimate source. And they've gone further and actually trying to uh, defame some people. I feel like, you know, when, when they've had some of these articles about people that are somewhat counterculture and, and that line keeps on moving in and in where I, I understand it when we're talking about Nazis and not really having, I, I have zero desire to read anything from a Nazi on Nazism on white ethnostates on anything that actually talks about that. It it, it doesn't interest me. I find no value in it. I find value in someone who can have a nuanced conversation about uh, let's just say in any topic that comes to mind, right? Unfortunately, the New York times paints those people all within the same brush. And, and again, it goes back to this idea, you, you ascribe these people to uh, your motive to them, and you also put them in a, in a tribe, basically says, we don't have to take them seriously. So we're not going to. The Nazis are dangerous. These people just aren't serious. Uh, so we don't have to talk about their ideas. And, and that's the problem, right? It's having that bright line. So the SIF can maybe be good to, to ignore things for Nazis, I, I think in my opinion are beyond the pale. We don't really, I don't need to spend time talking about why any value in breaking up the state or the country or the world by, by race doesn't make sense to me. But how do we get that, that next bright line in the sand that says, yeah, actually SIFT is really not good for these topics because it does take a lot more thinking. It is a
1: nuanced topic and there are legitimate differences in viewpoints. Exactly. Um going to butcher a Charlie Munger quote here, but, um, uh... It's, it's something like only when you know, the other side's position better than the other side is when you can have an opinion. And yeah. it seems like the swift framework is saying, don't, don't bother trying to learn the other side's position. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because Absolutely. If you do, you're just giving them too much attention. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're not going to just uh, tell everyone to go play in their own sandboxes. So, um, well, I think that's going to be it for us today. Uh, We hope uh, you enjoyed the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on whether or not using SIFT or some other framework to keep your attention in check and valuable. Uh, Go find us wherever you listen to us, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, um, Amazon, YouTube, wherever the case may be. Go find us, like, uh, add some comments, let us know, and uh, we'll talk with you real soon. Take care.